Well, welcome to church. It's good to see you here. It is just foul outside, isn't it? I just walked out there and it is gross. And uh, with that and school holidays and sickness, I thought we'd just bring it in tight. Bring it in tight tonight. So, good to have you here. Em's back from Fiji. Welcome back, Em. We all just living vicariously through her and Taz's photos. That just looked like an amazing trip. Uh, if I don't miss you, my name is Tim. Uh, I'm the pastor here with my wife, Victoria. She's in Tasmania. Um, she went down there for part of her 40th birthday celebrations. So she's down there with her, an old friend of hers. And uh, I'm in charge of the kids. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> we, no, but we had all age worship this morning. And I was holding my daughter. And I was like, I've smelled something. And I realized I haven't given her a shower since Thursday. Oh. <laughs> Anyhow, she had a bath when uh, we got home. So my kids are clean now, and uh, I am the father of the year. Alright, we had a great time at our welcome dinner on uh, Monday night. We had 20 new people, which was awesome. Uh, one thing I love about our church is, yeah, we had someone from Italy, someone from France, someone from Switzerland, someone from Brazil, someone from Fairlight. I mean, you know, we are, a, we are a, an international church, so that was great. And uh, that's cool that that Winterfest is coming up. If you want to help out, just come along and it'll be a really good vibe on the night. Alright, um, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit, and I thought Kiralee was fantastic last week. Um, you may not know this, we, we have a value statement for the church, we have four values that we kind of say drive us as a church community, and obviously you guys all know those four values off by heart. No, that's cool. Um, <laughs> there won't be a quiz, but um, they're cool values, they're the kind of values that we want to see uh, expressed in all the ministries and life of the church. Uh, the first value is just that we value the gospel of good news. So we want to be good news people. You know, we want, um, we've got the most amazing message to share with the world. And so everything we do wants to be an expression of the good news of Jesus' Lordship. Um, secondly, the second value is we value relationship with the Father. And that's all about our identity and being secure and being adopted as a child of God. Uh, our third value is about kingdom community, and that's about hospitality and welcome and um, making sure we're a generous people, that we exist to serve others. But then our fourth value, and Gussie, I think there's a slide that has it, is it says we value spirit-filled community. Spirit-filled community. Uh, and then the longer version says this, we desire to be known as the people of God's presence. Continuing the works of Jesus. It's the Spirit of God who assures us of our adoption, who transforms our character, empowers us with gifts to serve. And so we seek God's presence in our meetings and in our mission. That's a good value. Oh, man. It's not a joke about Sydney that um, the, the Father, the, the Son, and the, the Holy Spirit return to heaven from earth. And. Um, God the Father says, I've been to London, and I says, Jesus, I've been there, it's a great city, isn't it? What an amazing place. Then the Holy Spirit says, I've just been to Cape Town, and I says, God the Father and Jesus, we've been there, it's an amazing place, beautiful people. And then the Holy Spirit says, um, 
well, I've just been to, sorry, so Jesus just says, I've just been to Sydney. And the Holy Spirit looks at Jesus and says, I've never been there. Uh, of course, that's not true these days. There are lots of amazing churches uh, full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes the church has these kind of unhelpful dichotomies. You have churches that say, we're a Bible church. It's all about the Word, the Word, the Word. You've got to teach the Word. And then you get uh, social justice churches. And they're all about um, justice and fairness and compassion. And then you get charismatic Holy Ghost explosion churches. And they're all about power, power, power. Um, I remember when I lived in Kenya, there was a church. I never went there, but there was a famous church in Nairobi. And it was called the Maximum Miracle Center. <laughs> um, but the word on the street was that the miracles were a bit thinner these days. But it never made sense to me. Why, why not just go for it all? Why not be a church that teaches the word of God, that is out there committed to social justice and, and acts of mercy, and is, is just full of the Holy Spirit? John Wimber, who was a, a, a charismatic church leader in the 90s, he used to say, all word we dry up, all spirit we blow up, but word and spirit and we grow up. Isn't that good? You know, and that's what we need in the church. And then let's add a bit of justice and compassion as well. And of course that's Jesus. That's, that's, that's the Apostle Paul. That's the Apostle Peter. I mean, this is the, 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 the life of the first Christians. This is the life of our Saviour. Think about Jesus. He is the greatest ethical teacher that ever existed. We just did 15 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount and we get blown away by the power of his word. Um, Jesus was an agitator for social justice, incredible mercy on the poor, modelling compassion to his followers. And then of course Jesus was full of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's what allowed him to heal the sick and to cast out evil. And I want to be like that. I want to have all of that. I want that Jesus that is about the truth, that is about compassion, and that is about the power of God. I think that's why I was drawn in the UK when I lived there in my 20s to this amazing church I ended up at. It's called St Paul's Hammersmith. Uh, a church like ours. Uh, it had been planted by Holy Trinity Brompton, the, the church that started the Alpha Course. And they planted it about a year ago. And I just turned up. I just spent a year living in South Africa and Kenya. And I just wandered into this church. And in a service, um, they started talking about all the projects that they were doing in their local community. All these, these acts of mercy and compassion and educating people who needed a chance and so on. And, and then the minister got up and he preached from the Word of God faithfully. And then at the end, there was just this beautiful worship and prayer ministry and people being touched by the presence of God. And I remember just thinking, wacko, you know, this is it. This is, what, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Now we're away. And hopefully you see some of those values uh, and work in this alive local church. So what kind of a church is Jesus wanting to build? Well, I want to suggest this afternoon or this evening that he wants to build a church full of his presence, full of his Holy Spirit. And why? Because the fruit... It's, it's the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives in our church. Right? We don't, we're not just experience chasers. We're not just going after these things to go, 
why that was cool the way God turned up and now just get on with your life however it was before the meeting. But we want to be transformed by what happens as God touches us. Uh, I remember listening to an interview with Nicky Gumbel, the, the Alpha Course guy, and there was a particular wave that went through the church in the late 90s, and he talked about this meeting where Ellie Mumford, who was the head of the Vineyard Churches in the UK, and also the mum of the Mumford and Sons guys, ah, now you know why their music sounds so Christian, um, she just returned from this church in Toronto, and she caught the spirit in one sense. She'd caught what was going on over there. She returned to this meeting. She gathered ministers. And it just kicked off. It just kicked off. People were falling down under the weight and the glory of God and speaking in tongues. And some were laughing and some were crying. Uh, my friend Ash, he's still a good friend of mine to this day. He's down in LA. Um, he used to do cocaine with Michael Hutchins from NSS. And then he got radically converted. And he was there that morning. And he just walked past the room and he fell over under the presence of God. And that was, it was a sovereign thing that was going on at that particular time. But something absolutely amazing. And Sandy Miller was the main minister there at the time. And um, his secretary called, he, he was having a meeting with the bishop. And his secretary from under her desk where she was hiding called the bishop's office and said, you've got to come back. And he was like, this had better be for a good reason. I'm meeting with the bishop. Uh, of course, he came back and saw what was going on. And, and that, that move of God was amazing for that church and that movement. And why do I tell that story? Because, because what's the fruit of that? What, is, what has happened as a result of that outpouring, that sovereign move of God that happened in that Anglican church in the middle of London near Harrods department store? Well, birth Alpha, which 40 million people around the world have done today. It birthed the marriage course and the pre-marriage course that has restored and helped so many relationships. Um, they have extensively church planted throughout London, turning the declining church attendance in a city like London way back into the positive in the last two decades. Worship Central, you know, training ministers, it goes on and on. And that's what's important with any move of the Holy Spirit. Not that we just enjoy an experience of God, but that it produces ongoing faithfulness and fruitfulness in our lives and through our churches. Amen? So that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Well, of course, if you know your Bibles, you'll know that God's presence, His Holy Spirit is all through the Scriptures. Uh, we did a bit of that story two weeks ago. Let me encourage you to go back to Kiroli's message, listen to that. Um, go back two weeks, make sure you listen to the opening message. But in the Old Testament you see uh, the Spirit of God fill people, kind of not all the time, but just at certain times for certain tasks, for certain seasons, right? Think of Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, how does he interpret those dreams? Well, he does it because it's a supernatural thing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit that enables him to interpret the king's dreams. Um, but then you get these promises that the presence of God at the turning of the ages when the Messiah comes is going to be more full, more available, more empowering, and the presence is going to be there for all of God's people. Kirillie spoke about that last week, the promise in the prophet Ezekiel, that God will give us a new heart and a new spirit, that he will pour his spirit 
out of all his people. What do you remember from last year? In, um, we did that series in Isaiah that, again, went forever. <laughs> it was a good series. Chapter 44, verse 3, and there's the verse up there. Yeah, God promises, For I'll call on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That's the promise. That's the promise. And we've experienced that in Australia the last, like, two years, right? What's been parched and dry and desert. And all of a sudden these rains have come. And all of a sudden these inland rivers and lakes appear. And where do the fish come from? I don't even know where the fish come from. There used to be a desert. But all of a sudden it's teeming with fish and, and birds and plants and wildlife and what just looks so arid and dead and dry and gone all of a sudden bursts back to life. And that's the promise of God. That God will pour on the thirsty land, streams on dry ground. He will pour out His Spirit on your offspring, a blessing on your descendants. And so when we're dry, where we're agitated, where we're maybe grumpy all the time, where we're maybe in like strained relationships with people, where our lives feel dry and parched, and, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God just comes, and it's like water on a dry land, and life just re-emerges within us. Relationships get restored, the fruit of it's produced. Okay? Are you with me? And so the promise is that God will pour out His Spirit, a blessing on your descendants. That's us. Who's this Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the person of the Holy Spirit? One thing I've been enjoying in preparing this series, I've been reading one of my old lecturers, Gordon Fee's book, God's Empowering Presence. That's where we got the sermon series title from. And you can get an idea of who the Holy Spirit is from all of the names given to him in the New Testament. Right? The kind of synonyms or the different ways of expressing who this person of the Holy Spirit is. In Acts 17, he is called the Spirit of Jesus. Same in Philippians. The, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So he's going to do the things that Jesus did. Romans 1, he's called the Spirit of Holiness. 1 Corinthians, he's called the Spirit of our God. Ephesians 1, he is called the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation. In 1 Corinthians 5, he is simply called the Power of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's an astonishing thing to think, that what gets poured out on us is the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what that does mean is, you know, we live in the now, not yet. We don't see it all in all of its fullness. But when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus doing something, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is still available to us today. You with me? So in Acts 2, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus occurs, and that is the Spirit that is poured out on God's children. The Spirit of Jesus, of holiness, of wisdom, of revelation, of power. In Acts 1, Jesus has said to them, wait... Wait for the gift my Father has promised to you. He says in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. The word baptised being the word that was used when a ship was sunk and submerged into the water. 
It means engulfed, intoxicated, plunged in. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit like water, like he's being drenched like a ship going down. He's going to plunge you into holy power. That's the promise of the scriptures. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost happens, and in one sense, what is gets birthed is, 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 is us, the church. Global. Every tongue, every nation, every rich and poor, male and female, slave and free. What gets birthed and what we have in common is we have one spirit. One spirit. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And what happens? What's the very next thing? It's an odd twist in the story. The very next thing that happens at Pentecost, after they are filled with the Holy Spirit, is they get accused of being drunk. The people mock them. I can only imagine it was quite a scene. <laughs> what was going on in Jerusalem? Were they, were they falling around under the weight of the intoxicating presence of God? And a rushing wind fills the room. Tongues of fire come to rest on them. And then they head out and they get on with the mission of God. And a frail group huddling in an upper room get launched into the world with the same message and power of Jesus. And if you read the book of Acts, which I encourage you to do, you'll see so many parallels, right? Jesus will do something, and in the book of Acts, you'll see the very same thing happen, but now through the Spirit-filled first believers. Why? Because they've got the power of the Lord Jesus Christ at work within them. So a huge crowd comes together in bewilderment of what's going on. And it says they hear the wonders of God in their own languages. Some people make fun of them saying they've had too much wine. Uh, this is the next bit of that. Like, doesn't Peter say to them something like, but it's only nine o'clock in the morning, right? So that would have been a big night out. If at nine o'clock in the morning, you're still looking like that. But clearly to outsiders, they look intoxicated. I find that so interesting. I wonder if the world, if it went to most church services, would walk in and accuse us of being intoxicated with the presence and the joy of God. That's a cool thought, isn't it? I find it interesting that the same drunk comparisons used in Ephesians. Uh, have you ever noticed that? You know, it's that famous verse, Ephesians 5, 18 to, to 19, Gussie. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, and worship's going to emerge within you. It's such an interesting, I find that an interesting comparison. For Paul here, being drunk on wine and being filled with the Spirit... To him, obviously, had such similar effects, and yet such incredibly different effects. Does that make sense? Enough for him that this is an obvious comparison. Now, now drunkenness 
as we know it. It's often used, isn't it, when there's a hole in your life. You know, if, if, if sex isn't working, or money isn't working, or your desire for um, fame or, or privilege, you, whatever's not working, you turn to drink to fill the hole. And the reality is Australia's got a pretty major alcohol problem. You know, there's a lot of drinking going on. And, um, I mean, I remember I had a friend, like, 15 years ago. He, he, he was a bit younger than me. He already owned a real estate agency up on the North Shore. Uh, drove a BMW in his late 20s. He was just killing it, right? And then I remember going away with him. And one weekend he confessed to me that every night he had to drink a bottle of spirits just so that he could sleep at night. Right? Escapism, drinking, because you can't handle the pressure or the monotony of life, wanting to escape into a different world. Now, of course, in the Scriptures, alcohol is not forbidden. Jesus' first miracle is what? Turning water into wine. He says in 1 Timothy, you got a little bit of stomach problem, have some wine. One of the signs in the Old Testament of the dawning of the Messianic age is an abundance of good wine. Okay? So we're not teetotalers here at Manly Life. Some people choose that, and I honour that, and I respect that, but that's not a forbidden thing. But what is warned against repeatedly is drunkenness. So we get this comparison. Don't get drunk on wine, but get filled with the Spirit of God. I find that so interesting. And, and the tense of the word, be filled, is present, ongoing, continuous. It's not like we're meant to have one experience of God in our 20s when we're pretty wild and gung-ho for God and then the rest of our lives we just live off the, the fumes of that. The idea is that we have this ongoing experience of the power and love of Jesus being poured into our lives. Amen? Someone once said we're leaky vessels and so we constantly need to be refilled. So what did drunks look like that made them think the early Christians were drunk at Pentecost? You ever wondered that? And then once they had enough beer in them, they'd do some horrendous dancing on the dance floor. <laughs> but it was like they needed the, the, the drink to get the courage so that they could go dance with some girls and go and talk with them and so on. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you are going to get a different kind of courage and a different kind of boldness. Amen? Think about Peter. He goes from hiding in an upper room in Acts to preaching in the open air to healing someone uh, because he's all of a sudden filled with the presence and power of God. I remember when I worked in London, I gave a copy of the message New Testament to, to all of my colleagues. I just wanted them to just know Jesus. Um, a month or two ago, Victoria and I were out for dinner and um, the waitress started chatting with us. We just started sharing with her about Jesus. And then Victoria prophesied over her life. And, and you get this boldness that comes when you're full of the Spirit. So we need to be a Spirit-filled church, courageous for the Lord. Secondly, being filled with the Spirit takes God from your head to your heart. You know, sometimes people drink because they want to get out of their heads and start expressing their emotions. Have you ever been to the pub? And then, like a mate who's had too much to drink comes up to you and just goes, I love you. <laughs> and they get all touchy feely, and all of a sudden there's a massage circle going on. And... You just need to get out. 
The drink, he does that, right? Rational people become touchy-feely and expressive and emotive. And you get sad drunks too, people who have a drink and they just cry the whole time. But when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, often we go from a knowledge of God that's up here to an experience of his love and his power in here. Amen? And that's such a beautiful thing. Romans 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we have this encounter with God that I shared two weeks ago about that first hour of the Holy Spirit weekend away where I, 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 I got filled with the Spirit in a way where I experienced the love of God. And it was a beautiful thing. I, I definitely haven't cried in years. And I was just at this weekend away just a mess as I encountered the fact that God loved me. He loved me despite my sin and my brokenness. He loved me. And that's such an overwhelming emotional experience. So we need to be a church that has remarkable, unexplained experiences of God where he just comes amongst his people, pouring his love into our hearts. All right, thirdly, being filled with the Spirit changes your character. You know, drunk people often have a change in their character. Have you noticed that? Have you ever been the only sober person at a party? And you realise how obnoxious really drunk people are can get? And you're like, oh, like, is that me when I have too much drink? You know, quiet people become loud. They become close talkers. You know, reserved people can get aggressive. Silly people get sillier. Yeah, and on the positive, a good glass of wine can bring out the fun and enjoy the person, right? But when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it transforms your character from the inside out. You know, sometimes we judge other Christians because they're not very transformed. But, you know, I love what C.S. Lewis used to say. He should says, you know, you should have met them before they were a Christian. <laughs> you know, you think they're an absolute, oh, now. They were, oh, before they were a Christian. But we're all an ongoing story, aren't we, of transformation. And what God's wanting to do is make a better version of you, amen? It's the fruit of God alive in you. Spirit of Jesus alive in you, making you more like Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on. Who wouldn't want that? That's one of the Nicky Youngman's lines on Alpha, isn't it? People say, I'm afraid of becoming a Christian, I'm afraid of being filled with the Spirit. He takes them to Galatians, he says, read what the fruit of this new life will be. Do you want that? Who wouldn't want more love, more joy, more peace, more patience in their lives? All right, and then finally what happens when we get filled with the Spirit is we sing. We sing. Have you ever noticed that drunk people, they sing a lot? That's right. People who drink, they kind of burst into song a lot. In my slightly wilder years in London, I remember a few nights out where Operatic Tim came out. And you don't want to have to hear Operatic Tim. <laughs> but... Uh, but when we're filled with the Spirit, we want to sing. We want to worship. That's what it says in Ephesians. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Yeah, every time there have been revivals around the world, it's always produced new music in the church. Isn't that interesting? You know, like you think about the Jesus People movement in the 1970s in California. 
and out of that was birth contemporary worship or the Wesleyan revivals in the UK and across North America in the late 1800s and that birthed all the hymns that we're still singing and some churches are still only still singing today. One of the most wonderful things about being a spirit-filled Christian is our worship, our we just get to sing to the Lord and make music and we just have this desire. And I even think, you know, on Wednesday night, that's you, some of you guys who are in the studio just worshipping together. You could have been out getting drunk on wine, but instead you were getting intoxicated by the Holy Spirit and singing and worshipping and praising God. Amen. Let's stand.